Well, it is nice to see all of you guys here tonight. Uh, my name is Alan Gotthart. I am uh, the interim college pastor here at the church. I'm also Paul, the guy you, got, you probably wish was here. Um, he's my uncle. Uh, if you didn't know we were related, I'm shocked. We look so much alike. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm tempting fate by how much hair I'm growing because he and my dad have taken over baldness for a whole family. So, so I'm really pushing it. <laughs> I'm excited to be with you guys here tonight. There are a lot of things about the Bible that can be particularly hard pills to swallow. The last shall be first, first shall be last. It's better to give than to receive. That he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And all of these are important and they carry their own weight, but I think one of the most difficult and probably one of the most offensive pills to swallow is the constant reference to humanity as sheep. And I don't know if you guys know that much about sheep, but they are about as dumb as it gets. There's a story that ran in the USA Today uh, out of Istanbul, Turkey, back in 2005. And what happened was there's a group of shepherds, and they took their communal flocks out to a hillside to graze, and they went off a little ways to go eat breakfast and watch the sheep from a distance, and uh, that's when things started to go downhill, quite literally. One sheep decides he's going to tootle his way up the hill a little ways and gets to the edge of the cliff, and he decides this is the perfect time to test out his flight theory, and he jumps off the cliff. And now I know what you're thinking, one sheep jumping off a cliff is not newsworthy, and you're right, it wouldn't be. But that one sheep was all it took to give the flock the confidence that it needed. And then 1,500 sheep got the confidence they needed to decide they were gonna fly that day too. 450 sheep died that day. Only 450 because as they jumped, the pile grew higher and softened the blow for the rest of them. You think, I'm not kidding either, it's crazy. And now, you may be able to spin this story and say that 450 sheep died for a good cause. They were explorers. But don't pull the wool over your eyes. You might say that the sheep were just team players. They didn't want that first guy to look like an idiot, so they all jumped. But I'd be fleecing you to suggest it. (laughs) And I have one more. You might even say that because they're from Turkey, they thought they could fly. But that would be a bad attempt at humor. (laughs) Good night. Y'all have a good one. (laughs) Uh, But no, the sheep were actually just acting the way they were designed to. They aren't the brightest tools in the shed, and they need the constant supervision of their shepherd in order to maintain the right course. And as as tough of a pill as it is to swallow, we share a lot in common with the sheep. We want to do our own thing, even when we know it's not going to lead to something good in the end. We, We follow others into their bad decisions, and unfortunately, there's just a lot of similarities between us and sheep. In the last few weeks, Paul has been taking us through the series, This is the Gospel. And tonight, this may feel like a one-off message, and in many ways it is. I just found out this afternoon I'd be preaching today. But God was not surprised by what to us seemed like a change of events. This has been in his plans all along. The message we heard from Pastor Ken this morning was not an accident. We just don't know yet how God's going to use it. And so my prayer ever since we found out this morning that Paul wasn't going to be preaching or that Seth wasn't going to be here um, has been that we would have the faith right now that we, would, that we will have by the end of today. 
that we would already be excited about what we know God's going to do with this change of events. And so tonight, we're going to be diving into what may be a familiar passage. We're going to be talking about the parable of the lost sheep. Today, our text is going to be out of the 18th chapter of Matthew, verses 12 through 14. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there to Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that we get to come in here and read your word that we get to do so free of persecution, that we don't have to look over our shoulders as we get to open your word and worship freely. Lord, I pray that we don't take that for granted. God, I pray that you'll prepare our hearts tonight. Lord, I pray that we'd be available for whatever you have for us, and we'll thank you for what you'll do. In your name, amen. Now, before we get too deep into this text, we need to pull out a couple of basic pieces that are really important and act as an undercurrent for how we're gonna pull out the application from this parable. From this text, there are three really important implications about the love of God. First, the love of God is an individual love. It wasn't enough for the shepherd in the parable to still have 99% of his sheep after the one went astray. That shepherd leaves the 99 and then looks for the one that went missing. No matter how large a family is, every parent knows you can't spare even one of your kids. God won't be satisfied until the last wanderer is gathered in. Scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your head. It's a personal, it's an individual love for you and me. Second, the love of God is a seeking love. The shepherd in this parable wasn't content to wait until the sheep found its way back into the flock. This was so radical to the Jewish people at the time. Because up to this point, so much of Jewish culture and Jewish faith was based on this idea that if I can follow enough commandments, if I can make enough sacrifices, that's going to make me holy. That's how God's going to accept me. The Pharisees expected to get into heaven because they were holier than everyone else. They followed the commandments better than anybody else. And this is why the teachings of Jesus was so radical and turned them all up on their heads. Because what Jesus was presenting, the Jewish people couldn't wrap their minds around They would have gladly agreed that if the parable had ended with the lost sheep came scraggling back and limping and and sat at the gate of the flock and begged Jesus to come in and maybe on a good day God would let him in if he was feeling like it. That would have been the God they'd be okay with. This God of wrath and justice, they wouldn't have been able to understand that this is, our God is so much better than this. That Jesus was so much better than this. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. He isn't content until we, to wait until we find our way back. He goes out in search no matter the cost. The third thing about the love of God is that it's a rejoicing love. When the shepherd finds this lost sheep, he rejoices over it, even more so than he was happy to still have the 99 that were still safe. And sometimes I think our problem as believers is that we hold others to a different standard than our shepherd does. We only accept those who repent and come back to the flock after we first made sure they received their moral lecture. 
after we've made sure they, true, they feel truly sorry and contemptible, then we'll let them back in. And even then, we typically don't trust them again. But the good shepherd puts our sins behind him. And when he finds us, it's all joy. And now understanding these implications about the love of God is critical to understand how big this parable really is. It's one of the shortest, but Jesus packs a punch because without understanding the love of God, we'll never understand why he went to look for that sheep in the first place. We'll never understand why this, what this verse means for us today either. And so now that we've laid out some of this groundwork about the love of God, we're gonna dive into this parable. There are two ways that I believe are appropriate for interpreting this parable in its present context. The first is evangelistic, or for the lost. I believe this parable is one of the clearest and most beautiful representations of how Jesus seeks and saves lost people. The second way of interpreting this parable is ecclesiological, or for the church. This parable not only gives an incredible description of how Jesus seeks and saves the lost, but also a clear prescription for how we as the church are supposed to treat wandering sheep from our own flock. So we're gonna start with the first one. How is this parable evangelistic or for the lost? Well, first we need to assign some meaning to each of the different players in this parable. The first is the searching shepherd, this is Jesus. Then there are the 99 sheep safe on the mountainside. They represent those who are believers who have accepted Christ as their savior. And third, there's the lost sheep. This represents the lost person who does not believe in Jesus as their savior. And so through our evangelistic lens, we look at this parable and we can see that Jesus is the searching shepherd. It's Christ who searches for lost people. We saw that a second ago, that the love of God is a searching, a seeking love. And that's what drives Jesus to search for the lost. He isn't content to wait with the safe sheep. He goes out and finds the wandering sheep. Notice who's doing the work here though. It isn't the sheep that decides he wants to be found. It isn't the lost sheep who finds their way back into the flock and then is allowed to come back in. It's Jesus who goes out, he initiates the search, he pursues those who don't have a relationship with him. So what does that mean for us? It means that Christ wants a relationship with you. Sheep wander, they need direction. They need the good shepherd to guide them to where they should go. So if you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, he wants to have one with you. He wants you specifically. You aren't just another number to him. His love is an individual love, and it's a seeking love, and it's seeking you. We see at the end of this parable that it's not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus wants you. He doesn't want you to remain lost. So Jesus is the searching shepherd who seeks lost people. But Jesus doesn't just search and search and never find. He's the locating shepherd. Palestinian shepherds were experts at finding their lost sheep. They could track a sheep's tracks for miles. Often back, back during this time, most flocks were communal. They were owned by the villages, they were owned by the communities. It wasn't most people's individual sheep that were owned. So usually what would happen is there would be three or four shepherds watching each flock at a time. This is why the shepherd in the parable can leave the 99 sheep, right? Because if he left them with no one to watch them, he'd come back and half of his safe sheep would be gone. He'd have to start all over again. So he could leave them with his fellow shepherds while he went out to find the lost sheep, and he would make the most strenuous 
effort possible to find the lost sheep. It was a typical shepherd's rule at the time that if you couldn't bring the sheep back alive, you had to at least bring back a bone or a fleece to show that he was officially dead. The shepherds would sacrifice almost anything to bring back their sheep home alive. And you know what's such a paradox about how relentless the shepherd has to be to bring home lost sheep? It's how bad the sheep need to be found. It's a paradox because so often we think that that we know what's best for us. We're either not interested or we don't believe in the God of the Bible. Maybe you aren't prideful enough to say there's no God, but if there is, it certainly isn't the God we see here in the Bible. And this is true with real sheep too. They wander around on their own, and next thing they know, they're falling off of a cliff. Or they're marooning themselves on a ledge that they can't get off of. And you may not believe it right now, but without the good shepherd, Jesus, who is, you are aimlessly wandering and not realizing that, that at the end of your road isn't just more road. There is a very real end that ends in heaven or hell. And you may feel like this roaming is freedom. You aren't tied down or committed to some outdated ideology, but let me tell you, it's a life of emptiness without Christ. And I'm all too convinced that if I didn't believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would be a wandering skeptic of everything. I'd be begging for something to believe in, but too scared and too prideful to admit that Jesus was asking for a relationship with me. So if you have people in your life who keep trying to talk to you about Jesus, or maybe you're here tonight and you have literally no idea why, you don't even know how you ended up here, or you're watching this online and you're like, what am I watching? It's not an accident. The paradox of the searching shepherd is how bad the lost sheep need to be found. You need the good shepherd to get his staff around you, to keep you from going over the edge. And Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice to do this. To bring home lost sheep, he died on a cross so that we could have that relationship with him. And so what we know about the links that the shepherd would go to to find his lost sheep, it's no surprise then what we see in verse 13. He says, if it turns out that he finds the lost sheep, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. You can imagine the joy of the shepherd who came back carrying that wandering sheep on his shoulders. The lengths he went to to find it and to be able to bring it back now safely in his arms. This parable shows Jesus his favorite picture of God's love. Our God has a rejoicing love. There's no grudge, there's only joy. But does that mean that the shepherd rejoices more over the sheep he found than the 99 who never went away to begin with? This is an incredible picture of God's grace and his love, but Jesus isn't saying that the shepherd doesn't care about the people who are safe. He's not saying that that God is less delighted over disciples that, that are following him, but he's pointing out that there is a particular and a peculiar type of joy that, that comes from bringing home something that was lost. So how many of us are still wandering? How many of you are worried that God no longer wants you? That you've looked away from him too many times? Just like the parable says, he's the searching shepherd who loves you individually who came to seek and save lost people. Now something that's interesting though about this parable is we actually see a very similar version of it in Luke chapter 15. But if we look closely, there are some important things to note before we just say that this is the same parable with the same meaning. In, chapter, in Luke 15, he opens up the parable with, 
opens up the chapter with the parable of the lost sheep, but he starts verse one with this. He says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now this is very different than the way that Matthew 18 opens up verse one. He says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew opens with Jesus talking to his disciples. Luke opens with Jesus talking to sinners, to Pharisees, to tax collectors, and to scribes. And now I know it can be tempting to look at this context and think, that's irrelevant, it's the same story. But I promise that it's, it's so important because it gives a whole new dimension to this parable. So much so that I would argue that instead of Matthew and Luke telling slightly different versions of the same parable, Jesus told this parable two different times in two different settings, and Matthew writes down one, and Luke writes down the other. And that's where I think we get to our second interpretation in the book of Matthew, and it's the ecclesiological one or the one for the church. Yes, it's true that Jesus is the searching, the locating, the rejoicing, and ultimate good shepherd. But I believe that in Matthew, this parable is a charge to the church also to imitate Christ in this way. And this is why context is so important because it can change the meaning of a parable in a very intentional way. The metaphor in this parable would not have been unfamiliar to the Jewish people, especially to the disciples. In fact, it was probably one of the most easy to recognize for them. This is because sheep were used as an example of God's people in the Old Testament over 200 times. Shepherds were used as an example for the leaders of Israel dozens of times. So they know what Jesus is talking about. They've seen this metaphor dozens, if not hundreds of times before. But I think that Jesus is trying to get them to call to mind a specific passage of the Old Testament. And that's in Ezekiel 34. And I'm gonna read it for you and and you'll see what I mean. He starts out in verse two, he says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. What I believe Jesus is implying to his disciples by using this parable is that they are to become the new shepherds who watch over the flock of those called by Christ. They're to replace the old shepherds prophesied against in Ezekiel and the other bad shepherds mentioned in the Old Testament. And I believe that the application is the same for the church today as well. But this doesn't just stop at pastors and at church leaders. This applies to every single person in the church that looks after someone else in some way. If you're a small group leader, this applies to you. If you're a connect group leader, this applies to you. If you're discipling somebody, this applies to you. If you have brothers or sisters in Christ that you know have wandered away from the church, this applies to you. No one is exempt from this if they're followers of Christ. And so what does that mean? First, as the church, we're to search for lost sheep like Jesus did. You've heard me say a couple of times already, but sheep are not the brightest tool in the shed. We're stubborn, we want our own way. We think we know what's best for us. There are wandering sheep who have strayed away from God and away from the church. And Jesus is saying in this parable that it's, it's us. 
who should be seeking those who were once among us and have now wandered away. It should be us who hit our knees in prayer for those who are wandering. It should, wandering. It should be us who are not content to wait with the 99 and just hope that one day we've, they'll wander back into the church or into a relationship with Christ. We are the body of Christ, the family of Christ, and the family can't spare a single member. Second, just like Jesus, we're supposed to relentlessly search for lost sheep. We're supposed to be relentless in our pursuit. And no, not all who wander away want to be found, and I'd say without the Holy Spirit, most who wander away don't want to be found. We actually heard this from Paul last week when he talked about the different types of soil. Some people are still hard soil. Their hearts haven't been tilled into good soil yet. They aren't ready to receive the gospel. And so we shouldn't harass people and annoy people. That's not the way of Christ. But one thing that we can be absolutely relentless in is our prayer. And here's a quick side note. How many of us complain about the next generation? We all do it, right? I'm a millennial, so I hear this all the time, literally from everyone. Millennials are the worst. You're entitled. You're the snowflake generation. And I'm not going to argue with you. These seem to be pretty good compliments, or complaints. (laughs) I hope it's not a compliment. (laughs) And my generation does it to Gen Z. Boomers did it to Gen X. So we all complain about this next generation. But how many of us are praying for them? How many of us are praying that the next generation gets raised up to follow in the steps of Christ, but we aren't discipling them? Paul mentioned this in his message last Sunday morning. He said the reason so many believers live unfulfilled lives is because God has poured far more into them than they are willing to pour into others. Imagine how much the next generation would benefit from an older generation pouring into them. If it's true what that sign says out there, that whoever wants the next generation the most will get them, why don't we see more of our next generation being discipled by seasoned believers who God's been pouring into for years? We were made to be rivers and not lakes. We're meant to pour out what's been poured in and not dam it up, dam up the flow and store it for ourselves. And now what about those who have gone astray? They were counted among us but now have, been wandered, now have wandered away. How many of us can name two or three people that have wandered away from the church and yet it's been years since we've reached out or years since we've even prayed for them? Shepherds search relentlessly for lost sheep. And we have the tools to fight off the attacks of the world. Just like shepherds who used to have staffs and slings and crooks to fight off lions and wolves, we have all the tools in Scripture that we need to fight off the attacks of this world. But how many of us have watched as weaker brothers and sisters get stuck in the mud of this world, and instead of reaching down, we back up and we say, my clothes are very white right now. I don't want to get into that with you. That's dirty. How many of us look down and we say, oh man, I really hope you get out, but look at these new shoes I just got. I can't. Shepherds search relentlessly for lost sheep. We should be equipped with the armor of God and not satisfied until we've picked up hurt sheep and carried them home on our shoulders. But if we aren't able to bring the wanderer back into the fold, We can hit our knees and pray knowing we did everything that we could and we can still keep praying. 
Now we have to be careful though because the pressure is not on the people of the church to save lost people from their sins. It's Jesus who seeks and saves the lost and brings them into that relationship with him. But it is our responsibility to care for and look after those who Jesus have brought into a relationship with himself. It is the responsibility of the church to disciple and to protect the flock. Let's read that passage from Ezekiel again. He says, those who are sickly you've not strengthened, the diseased you've not healed, the broken you've not bound up, the scattered you've not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity you have dominated them. It is our responsibility as the body of Christ to strengthen each other. Proverbs says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So when a member of the body of Christ starts to go astray, it should be us who are the first ones starting the search and starting the prayers. And then what do we do when they come back? Jesus gives us the answer to that question too. Just like the shepherd in the parable, we rejoice with those who come back. I mentioned this earlier, but sometimes in the church we do such a poor job of this. It sometimes feels like we're the Pharisees. We, we are okay if wanderers come back, but only after they've received their moral spanking and, they, and really feel sorry and show clear evidence that they're, that they're never gonna run away again. And we tend to act like the Pharisees and have this hard time accepting people back into the church that have wandered away. And even then when they come back, we don't trust them or we don't hold them up on this pedestal like we do every other believer who's never gone astray even though we all have sin. That's not how Jesus tells us to react in this parable. He tells his disciples to rejoice over the wanderer that comes back. He tells us to rejoice over those who come back home. It's not conditional. He just says rejoice. So for those of you who are currently astray right now, you aren't in the church, maybe you were at one point, maybe you were even a committed believer at one point, but you've walked away because of the people in the church. Maybe you've experienced what Ezekiel's speaking against. You've experienced the bad kind of shepherd. Please hear what I'm saying. Don't let your experience with a bad earthly shepherd or a bad church keep you from belonging to the ultimate good shepherd. And don't let it keep you from finding a church who will love you in your weakness and who will care for you the way that God's called them to. And so if that's you and you're here today and you're looking for a church to love you and to care for you, I believe that this is that type of church. So church, what do we do with this parable? We search for those who have wandered. We relentlessly pursue those who need to come back home. And we rejoice and we celebrate when they do. So if you aren't a follower of Christ, what do you do with this parable? Know that there is a good shepherd who's searching for you. Maybe you know this and you've been resisting for so long. Maybe you've been hearing Jesus call you to himself and you keep saying no. But our shepherd's a good shepherd and he wants a relationship with you. How long are you gonna keep holding out? I'm gonna pray for us as the band comes up. But if you've heard this tonight and you realize that you're a wandering sheep, let tonight be the night that Jesus finds you. Don't argue with him, just obey. These prayer altars are a good place to start. Maybe you're one of the 99, you're part of the flock of Christ, and you just wanna take some time to come to the altar and pray over the lost sheep that you know. Now's the perfect time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, don't let us ever forget that we were once the wandering sheep. Lord, that you sought us out. 
You desired the relationship with us, so you came to find us. Lord, I pray that we never get puffed up in our religious acts, God, but instead we are humbled constantly by the fact that we are but dust and ashes and you still love us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's been wandering away from you. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they come to find you too. In your name, amen.